Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, we're joined by Bruno Ramos de Souza, who's head of US and Europe at Hashdex. We discuss the current state of the US Bitcoin ETF landscape and why the outlook for a Bitcoin ETF in the short term is not as promising as you may have been led to believe. All right. So we're back here with Bruno from Hashdex. Bruno, it's great to have you back on the show. Pleasure to be here. Amazing. So since we last spoke back in April or May, we've had a lot of movement around the Bitcoin ETF narrative in the U.S. Uh, we obviously had BlackRock coming in and submitting an application in June, which was big news. We're also expecting a, uh, a decision, decision in the GPTC lawsuit. Uh, which should be coming out supposedly anytime now, but who knows? Um, and there's just been a lot of uh, a lot of hype around this. There's been some of that hype has subsided. There's been some rumors and speculation and perhaps misinformation floating around about what's actually going on uh, in this segment of the market. So, uh, Bruno, I'm really glad to have you back on the show here, just to kind of get like a brain dump from you on uh, how are you processing all of this? Uh, how is Hashdex processing all of this? You guys are obviously you know, live and breathe this stuff. So I uh, wanted to just kind of get straight from, from your vantage point. Um, maybe to start off with, would it be great if you could maybe just walk us through maybe the events of maybe the past like two, three months or so kind of kicking wow. off in June when BlackRock, uh, we got the news that BlackRock was, uh, was filing for a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, that's great. And I think the last time we spoke, I spoke a little bit about uh, the roadmap for U.S., uh, spot Bitcoin ETF, and and I'd say things are essentially unchanged. The only thing that changes that BlackRock filed, and because of that, uh, there's you know chaos in the markets and, and people thinking about things and you know making assumptions and things like that. So uh, you know I don't remember exactly when we spoke. Uh, I think at the time, perhaps there was already one of the filings out there. So. You know, these findings, they happen in batches, right? So somebody files and then uh, a bunch of guys file, file afterward, after that. Uh, but I think it was uh, around May, you had, uh, April, May, you had ARC and 21 shares filing, right? So at the time, um, our view of this was that there was nothing new uh, to justify the filing. It was probably... Uh, ARK and 21 shares trying to time the market, time the two regulatory developments that I said could happen. I think I mentioned this the last time we spoke. One was the result of the GBTC lawsuit and the other is a, you know, a bill passing in Congress, right? So these are two things that could change. And then ARK's final deadline would be around January. So we thought they could be playing that scenario so maybe something happens between now and january you know we can be in a good position uh nobody followed them and that's an important thing the, nobody followed them because there was no actual change to justify uh you know everybody thinking that now there's a window so this is different from the past in the past there were moments that you had windows up until blackrock came with the file and then you had a combination of two things. Um, so first, lots of folks followed in, you know, in the in the following days and weeks. Uh, I lost I lost count now over ten 
so there's you know a bunch of filings there trying to uh, get that uh, being in line along with BlackRock, uh, and. And a lot of it is just game theory, which is, you know, we don't know, I mean, you know, market players don't know if BlackRock knows anything, but if BlackRock is there, then we should be there, right? Uh, interesting thing is that ARC hadn't moved that needle in the sense that, you know, ARC filed, and ARC, ARC is a big issuer. Oh, ARC filed, then we should file too. Uh, is there anything that happened between uh, the ARC filing and BlackRock filing to justify that sort of movement? No. There wasn't, right? And that's an important thing. And I think that's something that's sometimes lost in a conversation. So before I go into that analysis, so, you know, long story short, what you have is now a bunch of spot Bitcoin ETF filings uh, and a lot of folks in the market assuming that this time is the one, right? And and uh, for those who haven't been following the, the Bitcoin uh, ETF market in the US, there's always that feeling at some point, oh, now it's the one, now it's the one, right? Uh, and even though some analysts are pointing to, you know, over 50%, 65% chances of approval, you know, these are educated guesses and sometimes they can be wildly off, right? So so what we have is actually looking at the data and the stuff that's out there that's new that change the scenario. But there's one big thing that I think the analysts miss and I want to get into that a little bit. So what did BlackRock bring new to the table? First, two things. Uh, first is SSA. This SSA is a share surveillance agreement. This is uh, this is something actually we had already looked into in the past. Even before uh, us, I think several years ago, Gemini had one of their filings that they mentioned this, that there will be an SSA between Gemini and the stock exchange. And this is something that didn't stick with, with the SEC for a simple reason, which is uh, the market, the underlying market is not a significant size. That's one thing. And the second thing is that the market is still not regulated. You know, that, that underlying market. So even if you have an SSA, right? So although those are new factors, it's interesting. It's the types of things that add uh, layers of complexity to the product and or to the like the trading venue or, or the market surveillance in that case. And that, you know, it could add intentionally some more infrastructure and, and security over uh, the, the Bitcoin spot market. Uh, that by itself is not the game changer thing, right? And, and the SEC had said so in the past. So it is an interesting, fa interesting factor, but it's not something that is enough to change everything, unless it were to, you know, give the SEC a pretext to want to approve something. Oh, now I have a new fact. Uh, parenthesis here is that the SSA, there's this Coinbase, which has an open war with the SEC right now, right? So it's not, so it's, you know, these are things you, you have to, to take into account. So first new thing that, that BlackRock brought was that, actually it wasn't BlackRock, it was NASDAQ, and, and that's an important point because that's applicable to any issuer working with NASDAQ. Uh, and what we've seen in the past, in the, in the following weeks was that NYSE and, and uh, Siebel, they also went after it to get some form of SSA. These are all under construction. There's no proper SSA signed with any of the exchanges. So this is the intent to have an agreement, right? Or there, there may be a term sheet, but you don't have the proper agreement. And these details are very important because it's an actual, very complicated agreement. 
Um, so that's one thing. Now, now, now everybody's like in a level playing field in that sense because all the exchanges will have uh, their form of SSA. Uh, the second factor that's too is that it's BlackRock. And I think although BlackRock is very bullish for uh, Bitcoin prices in general and crypto in general, so all this is, you know, there's people talk about institutional adoption. There's no more institutional embracing than having BlackRock issuing products around crypto. Like this large asset manager in the world. So uh, that in itself is an important fact for crypto, but not necessarily for the ETF race. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion starts, right? Uh, make no mistake, this is not, uh, you know, Larry Fink picking up the phone, calling Gary Gensler saying, I'll approve this. This is not how things roll, right? And assuming that just because, and, and remember, why is it uh, not that how, you know, things don't roll like that? Because you have several large issuers going after this. You know, you can, you can say, oh, but it's BlackRock. Yeah, but, it, you know, if you look at the combined, uh, I mean, you have Invesco there in the race, too. You have Invesco. You have uh, uh, um, Vanek. Uh, you have ProShares. You have, you know, major Wisdom Tree, major large ETF issuers, uh, asset managers that have political clout, that have influence and that, you know, have been doing this work for a long time. So it's not like that, right? So I think it's, you know, although conspiracy theories are, are you know, reasonable to entertain, um, it's not like, you know, I'll, I'll call it because there, there are several things, you know, in, involved in that. So I think- Can we, pa can we, can we pause yeah. on that for just one, one second? Because I think this is an important point. And I think there's, there's maybe kind of two versions of this like conspiracy theory that I see floating around a lot, which is the first one is that like Larry Fink is this, this sort of puppet master who's, you know, controlling Gary Gensler as a kind of a dancing puppet. And, you know, he picks up the phone and calls him, tells him what to do, which is probably not really how it works. Uh, like what you were saying. Then the other, maybe more modified version of this would be that BlackRock, somebody like BlackRock would not go through the effort to submit something like this unless they there was like they knew there's like a 99.9 percent .9 chance it was going to be accepted which i don't know how they would potentially know that but like that's that's the narrative yeah. that's floating around right is that these guys I, wouldn't I'll, be doing I'll go, this I'll, go to the second. I'll start with the second one that's 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 so stupid that makes no sense like that doesn't know how how product innovation works like you know product innovation is by definition you're creating something that hasn't been created before right and uh, if, if you look at uh, BlackRock, isn't necessarily the most innovative of issuers. It's all like they've been pushing the envelope of bringing new asset classes into the ETF wrappers. You know, they were the creators of GLD, for instance. You know, so uh, when you look at you know, who's pushing, and it's actually smaller issuers in general who are trying what hasn't been tried before. Uh, the correct analysis is that the timing looks good. And, and remember, BlackRock doesn't need to be the first issuer to have massive volumes in its ETF just because it's BlackRock. It has an incredible network of distribution. This is super important. Uh, you know, investment advisors are comfortable in suggesting a BlackRock product. So even if they come out second, third or whatever, still, you know, they have a good chance of being the largest one, right? So, oh, I'm burning my reputation now because that's not how things work. It's like, there's always a dialect process with the regulator when you're trying to create something new. You propose something, something comes back. So there's no slam dunk when it's actually like a new thing, right? So, so that's 
you know, not in. Uh, and the first point is on the machinations and things, you know, we have a good guess of why they filed. It's, you know, I can't really share this publicly. There's no compromising information. It's just that it's a lot more prosaic than people think. And, and I think that's, you know, uh, if you go into razors and think, you know, a lot of things that can be attributed to grand schemes and things like that sometimes it's just, you know, a couple of folks making a decision. And, and you know, look at the incentives. You know, if you look at the incentives, you have folks in BlackRock who are in charge of digital assets. Uh, a major win for their bonus this year is if they can get something out. And if they can get something out, that's an important thing for them. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's Larry, Larry Fink calling the shots. Oh, now Larry Fink, go to TV because we filed. Oh, okay. Then, then he goes to TV. You, you can see he's not really a crypto guy. <laughs> I don't have to uh, not lambasting him or anything. It's just a fact. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's gone against Bitcoin a couple of times in the past. But he's there because, you know, the firm's PR arm said, now it's the time for you to talk about this. But it's, not, it's clearly not something that was, you know, created in BlackRock's board saying, now let's go, you know. So I think there's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes things in business and in life, they're a lot more, I, I'd say, you know, uh, less sophisticated than we imagined. Things are just, you know, plain, plain, simple. Let's try this, right? So, uh, and in that confusion, people started, because of BlackRock, people started thinking, oh, now it's a done deal because BlackRock's here and now they know and, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll connect back to the two things I said last time we spoke, GBTC lawsuit and, and, um, and the federal bill. I, nothing has changed. Things are pro progressing. So we might see a decision at GBTC anytime, and we can talk about that more. That hasn't changed. And uh, federal bill hasn't changed. So still ongoing, still possibilities still things in a scenario. So if you're looking, you know, it's just because it's BlackRock. If we were discussing the ARC filing, we would be saying the same thing. We wouldn't be saying, oh, now it's a done deal, right? And what I think saying now is a done deal misses is that the key thing in all of this is that this discussion and this process is a lot less technical uh, than, it, than it appears. Right, and, and I remember, and this is because it's a legal issue. And I remember over time discussing with folks in the company, especially you know, some of the product guys that are engineers, they're like, oh, so if we do this, we'll have that. I say, no, that's not how things work. Is this is law and this is humanities. And this, there are several subjective factors. And the key subjective factor here is the SEC stance on crypto, what it means for the SEC to have jurisdiction over the asset class, what it means for Gary Gensler as chairman in supervising these things, and what it means for Gary Gensler on his personal side and his political ambitions and so approving a product like this. So this is being lost in the discussion. And the analysts are saying, oh, now, and then of course, and people, the folks who talk about it may say, oh no, because you know, Larry Fink is, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's, you know, support of Larry Fink is important for Gary Gensler. Then you can start going into ramifications that are pure, pure speculation. Uh, but nothing uh, has changed on that side. 
and the complications of, you know, next year is an election year. Um, the definition of, you know, distribution of powers between the SEC and, and the CFTC hasn't been defined. And the most important uh, Trump, <laughs> pun intended, that Gary Gensler has, uh, or the SEC has in its hands to, to bring power uh, to, the, to the staff and, and, and to the commission is actually the approval of this ETF, right? So this is the key product people have been talking about for 10 years. So if it goes through, it's not because of BlackRock. It's because there's, you know, there, there are broader agreements in the discussions between Congress, SEC, CFTC, of who's doing what. You know, this is a big bargaining chip uh, for SEC and their investment advisors are comfortable in suggesting a BlackRock product. So even if they come out second, third or whatever, still, you know, they have a good chance of being the largest one, right? So, oh, I'm burning my reputation now because that's not how things work. It's like, there's always a dialect process with the regulator when you're trying to create something new. You propose something, something comes back. So there's no slam dunk when it's actually like a new thing, right? So, so that's, you know, not it. Uh, and the first point is, on the machinations and things, you know, we have a good guess of why they filed. It's, you know, I can't really share this publicly. There's no compromising information. It's just that it's a lot more prosaic than people think. And, and I think that's, you know, uh, if you go into razors and think, you know, a lot of things that can be attributed to grand schemes and things that sometimes it's just, you know, a couple of folks making a decision. And, and you know, look at the incentives, you know, if you look at the incentives, you have folks in BlackRock who are in charge of digital assets. Uh, a major win for their bonus this year is if they can get something out. And if they can get something out, that's an important thing for them. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's Larry, Larry Fink calling the shots. Oh, now Larry Fink, go to TV because we filed. Oh, okay. Then, then he goes to TV. You, you can see he's not really a crypto guy. <laughs> I don't have to... Uh, not lambasting him or anything. It's just a fact. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's gone against Bitcoin a couple of times in the past, but he's there because, you know, the firm's PR arm said, now it's the time for you to talk about this. But it's not, it's clearly not something that was, you know, created in BlackRock's board saying, now let's go, you know? So I think there's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes things in business and in life, they're a lot more, I, I'd say, you know, uh, less sophisticated than we imagined. Things are just, you know, plain, plain, simple. Let's try this, right? So, uh, and in that confusion, people started, because of BlackRock, people started thinking, oh, now it's a done deal because BlackRock is here and now they know and, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll connect back to the two things I said last time we spoke, GBTC lawsuit and, and, um, and the federal bill. Nothing has changed. Things are pro progressing. So we might see a decision at GBTC anytime. And we can talk about that more. That hasn't changed. And uh, federal bill hasn't changed. So still ongoing, still possibilities, still things in the scenario. So if you're looking, you know, it's just because it's BlackRock. If we were discussing the ARC filing, we would be saying the same thing. We wouldn't be saying, oh, now it's a done deal, right? And what I think saying now is a done deal misses 
is that the key thing in all of this is that this discussion and this process is a lot less technical uh, than it than it appears, right? And and I remember, and this is because it's a legal issue. And I remember over time discussing with folks in the company, especially you know some of the product guys that are engineers. They're like, oh, so if we do this, we'll have that. Saying no, that's not how things work. Is this is law and this is humanities and this. There are several subjective factors. And the key subjective factor here is the SEC stance on crypto, what it means for the SEC to have jurisdiction over the asset class, what it means for Gary Gensler as chairman in supervising these things, and what it means for Gary Gensler on his personal side and his political ambitions and so approving a product like this. So this is being lost in the discussion. And the analysts are saying, oh, now... And then, of course, and people, the folks who talk about it may say, oh, no, because, you know, Larry Fink is, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's, you know, support of Larry Fink is important for Gary Gensler. Then you can start going into ramifications that are pure, pure speculation. Uh, but nothing uh, has changed on that side. And the complications of, you know, next year's an election year, uh, the definition of you know, distribution of powers between the SEC and, and the CFTC hasn't been defined. And the most important uh, Trump, <laughs> pun intended, that Gary Gensler has, uh, or the SEC has in its hands to, to bring power uh, to, the, to the staff and, and, and to the commission is actually the approval of this ETF, right? So this is the key product people have been talking about for 10 years. So if it goes through, it's not because of BlackRock. It's because there's, you know, there, there are broader agreements in the discussions between Congress, SEC, SCFTC, of who's doing what. You know, this is a big bargaining chip uh, for SEC in their discussions, you know, how they're playing out with this. Sorry, I lost my lecture. Uh, scissors. Let me change position. <laughs> there you go. You're back. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, so, and that's very important. That hasn't changed, right? Of course, discussion in the background happening all the time. Uh, but assuming that because BlackRock, all of these things are, uh, you know, are, are are over with, it's just naive. It's not. It's not how it goes, right? So, I think that's one thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, that being said, is there a chance of approval? Yes. What is the, the biggest factor? Is the outcome of the SEC lawsuit, the grayscale lawsuit, uh, which can come at any time. And, you know, if you're connected, if you're saying, oh, there's a, the Bloomberg guys that said, that was, now we're putting our odds at 75%. And these are guys, you know, I know I like, they're, they're great guys. I think I love your analysis. But, you know, it's... Uh, it is the most exciting thing in the ETF world in several years. So it's, it makes sense that they, some of them can get, you know, overexcited at, at some points, right? So um, if you look at um, the grayscale lawsuit, there's a good chance, like the market has understood there's a good chance that this is somewhat positive for crypto uh, because of the way the last hearing went. So that's something, okay, it's, it's an objective thing. 
and as I had said before, it depends a lot on the wording that comes out. And then also one thing I mentioned is that depending on the wording, this can be very good for crypto ETF issuers, not necessarily for BlackRock. And one thing to remember is that BlackRock's process of conversion is a lot more difficult than creating a new fund from scratch because there's no precedent of a, uh, a, you know, a transfer or a conversion from their type of structure into an ETF. And that opens up the gates for several, it's a precedent that that's not easy to, I mean, it has second, third order effects that not necessarily the SEC might be comfortable with, right? So what might come, and I think the, the cross of the, or the discussion in the lawsuit is if the is if the futures market markets are different from the spot markets or you know are they different enough that you can approve one product and not approve the other right so there's a good chance the decision comes and says no there's they're they're different uh, I mean they're the same so you sh you can use that argument uh, but it's unlikely that the panel of judges will come in and say now you're forced to approve a product. They'll likely say you can't create this distinction anymore. But there are several other things that didn't go into the lawsuit discussion that, uh, that play a role. And the first is on grayscale side, this thing we mentioned about the structure. The other thing that's been coming up in discussions that we've been having with you know, informed folks and the SEC's use of things. And then remember the context. The SEC doesn't really like grayscale. <laughs> they're, they're fighting, right? So uh, there's the SEC has no incentive. Like um, th this is remember the lawsuit is actually to solve this. It's a, law a lawsuit under the EPA saying you should treat similar situations in a similar way. Uh, the legal issues they are subjective and they are personal in the end. The people have biases. So even if you want to be very fair. Sometimes you have a bias limits you. So, you know, it's fair to say that the SEC staff doesn't see Grayscale the best dice, especially with everything that happened on the, everything that's happened with DCG, and and you know their problems with Thern, their problems, there's you know with TAC, the, whatever. Like so, there are lots of issues. Yeah, and this yeah. was this was a point I kind of wanted to double click on actually, just because I yeah. think it's an important one, and you know kind of going back to your original point about there's a lot more subjectivity in these things than perhaps yeah. we would like, or perhaps is desirable, but people are people and people will have their own biases and incentives and whatnot. And, and in the case of, I mean, obviously when somebody is suing you, uh, you're maybe not, you might not look very favorable toward that entity, right? Um, it, you may not necessarily be wanting to do them any favors. Um, and also just in the terms of the publicity, like, like digital currency group has really just been at the set. I mean, they're my former employer, so I can full disclosure, but, um, but they have been at the center of really like just kind of the implosion of everything in the market, uh, over the last like 18 months or so. And, you know, I, I imagine that Barry Silver is not the most popular figure around the halls of the SEC. And obviously you guys are a competitor of grayscale and whatnot, but like, you know, so, but no, all that taken into account. But just just thinking, just looking at this objectively here, it's like I, I have a hard time seeing why the SEC would want to, you know, do any favors for Grayscale DCG at this point. Um, and, and, which and there, there's a there's a reason like they chose a lawsuit path is that uh, because of of 
the way GPTC works and is structured, they will never be the first to market in a conversion. They will never. Like it would always be some new issuer. So the only way was to add a new element, which is you know, I mean, that creates confusion, and you have a judge in the middle, and that that you know changes things a bit. Uh, but as you know, connecting to what I was saying, you can have a positive decision on paper for their claim that you know the markets are are essentially the same, and that in the end benefits the other issuers first because facts of life you have a trust running so it's not easy to convert that it's it's very complicated so um and and just to you know sum it up there's a reason you avoid suing your regulator at all costs you know it's like it does create a bad blood so it's you know this isn't there's nothing strange here right and uh the thing why am i saying this so i'm not saying that the sec will uh, try to harm grayscale. Uh, that's that's not the case. It's you know, in the end, people are professional and and they'll abide by what you know the judges are saying. Uh, the thing is that because this issue is complex and, and subjective, and bias is coming into play and so on and so forth, yes, he has no incentive to to make grayscale kingmaker, uh, to be a kingmaker and, and and make grayscale the king for the first. This uh, I don't think that happens. Like. And and opening up a little parenthesis, one of the other things that took off in Twitter was like, oh, the SEC is going to prove everybody at the same time. Like, there's no base to say that. There's no base to say that. Right? It's like, like why? Right? You have different processes with different timelines. Uh, I think what happened in in uh, with Beetle being the first was was very instructive. You had people almost at the same time. And those two, three day differences, they made a lot of difference in the end. But a batch approval, like there, there's not much why you would do that. And and and, and Beto, and just for clarity, that Beto was the was the the first Bitcoin futures ETF that was approved. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, at, so, uh, about, two, about two years ago. And just by having like a two, three day head start, they basically took the entire market. Yeah. Just by and, the virtue and, of having and, that head start. And and at that point, the SEC could have approved Beto, Vanek. Valkyrie at the same time, and it didn't. It, it like it followed the order, and and also you know how these things work. Each of these filings, uh, different folks internally take care of them. It's not a single guy. It's not a single group. So there's even like the, the question of the work of the individual, right? So maybe you have you know some head of of, of one of the units saying, let's try to get this over by this week. And, but it's different than saying everybody has to finish theirs by Thursday, right? It's, 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 it's an office. <laughs> yes, it's also an office, right? So there are other things where things that sometimes are more urgent. And, and so, you know, analysts that are faster, that are slower. So these things are all like just to add to the complexity of the whole thing, right? So um, not saying that it can happen. I'm not saying that assuming it will be a batch, there's no, no ground for that, right? So uh essentially it's still a very big mess right I, I think people are looking for clarity i'd say it's a lot more complicated than it was a few months ago uh but there's no silver bullet saying oh now this is the one this is the one and, and uh why is there like so so just to finish that thought i was i was building 
the element that's been showing up in a couple of conversations that we've been having with folk forms is that uh, one thing that the SEC can bring into the table that it hasn't brought up yet because there was no need, because it was killing the filings before uh, that stage, is let's say, you know, the judges say, okay, you can't differentiate the markets. They're essentially the same market. Uh, so, okay, so I can't use that argument. When you go into the inner workings of the product, uh, one thing you can start questioning, and the SEC has done that with like tangentially, not on the ETF side, but with other things, is the qualified custodian rule, right? And, st and start going into custody and say, you know, you're not a qualified custodian and you, we would need a qualified custodian to hold these assets like we would need in for an ETF holding securities, a qualified custodian for those securities. And I'm applying by extension this. And then you go into all sorts of things. Oh, that doesn't apply to gold. Is it, do you have that standard for qualified custodian for gold? Like, no, like, you know, gold, gold custodians or banks and brings and, you know, security firms like that. It's like, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not regulated by the SEC, right? But, but with crypto, I mean, the process for, for the, the, the ETF shows that there have been standards applied uh, to Bitcoin that haven't been applied to other asset classes, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have a lot of ETFs out there, the commodity ETFs. You know, do you have qualified custodians for rice, for wheat? Now, yeah, and you still have uh, ETFs for that, right? So I think it's, uh, there's still a lot of things in that. So, so you know, let's say if the SEC's political position is, I don't want this to go forward, even with the lawsuit preventing me from talking about futures markets, you still have custodian, you still have other things, right? Uh, and I, I would point out in a different, direction saying one of the things that took off in the past weeks is actually the ether futures filings a lot of the folks came along and filed and for those of you you know who follow maybe like three four months ago there was also a couple of filings like four or five filings that were made for ether futures and they were withdrawn in a, a couple of days later right and and we looked into it and said oh no this is going to be withdrawn what is the difference this time? They haven't been withdrawn, right? And they haven't been withdrawn, which, and being withdrawn is essentially a non-technical thing, which SEC staff might call you and ask you to take it out uh, by saying, I'm gonna not necessarily take it out, but saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disapprove this. I'm gonna deny, so uh, uh, don't even bother. And then folks, okay, I won't even bother. And remember, this creates work for people. <laughs> you're making a filing. Some somebody in the SEC staff is going to have to respond to that filing, and you're going into technical analysis of the depth of the Ether futures market and things like that. So they might they might say we're not going to do this because we think this is, there's not the time for this, and so whatever we're not going to approve it. And this time it didn't go. It, it, it hasn't been withdrawn. So there are a couple of. Uh, possibilities. One is just that the SEC staff this time said, okay, I might entertain this. Uh, this is what some folks in the market are betting. Oh, and then they're saying, oh, now this is going to be approved. The second thing is just that uh, the issuers, the first issuer especially, which is the same to file for the leveraged 
uh, Bitcoin ETF just thinks that there's a good chance that the SEC can't really deny it. So they're taking it to the end. And by taking it to the end, they might go into sort of a dispute with the SEC and create some friction and bad blood. And, the, and they're okay with it and say, okay, I'll buy this, this noise and I'll, I'll pick this fight and let's see what happens. Uh, so it might be as simple as that. And then the other issuers, they, they're just, again, game theory. Oh, this file, let me file two. Nobody took it off. I'm not taking it off. So there, there's no guarantee that it will be approved. I, I think one good reference is the depth of the futures market. Is it enough, the Ether futures market, is it enough to hold uh, those ETFs? Maybe. Depends on, on how much interest there is. Uh, we saw Beetle in the beginning, the first Bitcoin futures ETF, having issues at some points with Contango and things like that. Maybe that could happen also with the Ether market right now, but there is some technical analysis that can be made around the ability of, of the product to be, you know, to be there. And then you start seeing some filings combining Bitcoin and Ether and things like that. So on the future side, this is, I'd say, a lot more promising because it's like a try and tested, uh, you know, underlying asset, which is, you know, futures contracts and so on and so forth. And you're just trying to add Ether there to the mix. You already have Bitcoin there. So I say with those, uh, people have more reasons to be optimistic, but still, uh, you know, if anybody's slam dunking saying this is going to be approved, I think either they have no idea what they're talking about or they're, it's, it's clickbait and they're looking for, for likes on, on Twitter, right? Because right, it's, right. At this point, people should know better that these things are very complex and subjective. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it, it seems like after ten years of being in this uh, the e, the Bitcoin ETF uh, you know race or whatever, it seems like you know anything anything that sounds too good to be true probably is when it comes to these yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and just to kind of summarize our conversation, I mean, it, it seems like everything you're saying is is centered on this point that there's just a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of maybe some of these analysts have kind of gotten you know ahead of their skis a little bit. I think. Also, like crypto is just really in search of a like a favorable narrative right now. There's really just not that much like other good news out there, just to be perfectly frank about it. And I think crypto is always sort of in search of what's the next thing that might propel us to, uh, you know, to the moon or, or wherever we're trying to get to. Right. And yeah. uh, the ETF narrative, once obviously once BlackRock jumps in, it's like, oh, wow, things are moving. Like we need to start paying attention. So it's easy to understand why people are are maybe... Uh, getting excited about this and and getting uh, you know optimistic, getting bullish perhaps. Uh, but it sounds like from from what you're saying, just you know, kind of as the insider perspective, who's been playing this game for some time now, um, you know, the fundamentals really haven't changed at all. And yeah. there's just there's a lot of positioning going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of everything down from you know even down to just like the minute office politics of how the SEC functions that we need to be. There's just a lot of stuff we just don't have any visibility into at the moment. And making any kind of rush, rush judgments on any sort of slam dunk or like this is, is a, you know, it's a 65% chance this thing is coming this year is, is perhaps um, people need to be tampering their expectations a bit. It sounds like yeah, is what you're saying. I, I think, the, you know, the most important thing about the BlackRock filing, it, I mean, it was, it was true before with other filings, I think, uh, from large asset managers, but uh, BlackRock has this, that, you know, that symbolic thing to it. 
And and that's the good news for crypto is that for Bitcoin especially is that you know this is here to stay. Okay, so like if you had any concern that at some point uh, this will be killed by regulators, but you know by this and that, it's like you know like this will be embraced as a legitimate asset class uh, by the U.S. establishment, but like it has been in several other countries. So this will happen, and this is super bullish for Bitcoin. Super, super, super. Right? So, okay, the ETF doesn't come in three months. It comes in two years. For the long-term perspective of Bitcoin, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Like, you're still going to have, you know, the effect of that, which is like every investment advisor suggesting 1%, 2% in Bitcoin, uh, pension funds, uh, you know, retirement accounts, like, uh, mom and pop, like everybody having some form of exposure to Bitcoin. What that creates for Bitcoin's prices is, you know, hard to calculate. If you try to go after that, that calculation, it's very hard because it depends on assuming how much net new money is coming into crypto and how much it moves. There's some interesting tests around that, but it's it's hard to say because this is very dynamic. Like you have uh, you have things that come into play, and you know, there's there's you know the, the spin effects that come. So you're going to have a lot of U.S. institutional and retail money coming into Bitcoin in levels that we've never seen before. And, you know, if it doesn't happen this administration, it will be in the next. At some point, this will happen, you know. And, and I think that's the, the most important thing to take out of it. Instead of, you know, of course, if you're a trader trying to trade Bitcoin prices and... All these things they connect, and it's like, and, and these are news, and it's very important news in this cycle. It's a, it's one of the major things. Uh, but if you're a long-term holder and believer, you know, whatever, like whatever. If it's not in this round, it will be at some point. It will come at some point, right? So it's like uh, you have things today that you didn't have three, four years ago. Uh, that that you know make it inevitable. It's just that some, sometimes folks need patience. So it's like, cool off, it's okay. The most, I'd say, you know, in whichever case, you know, if you, my personal perspective of this, and this is not investment advice, this is more how I think about things, is that, you know, if you look at cycles and you look at housing cycles and, you know, it, you know there's a very clear, pattern that's been happening in the past 10 years. There's no guarantee it will repeat itself today, but there are indications that we're beginning uh, in the beginning of the recovery phase and that next year could be a positive year. You know, it can be a positive just if you look at charts uh, and just because of the halving, if you top that with uh, federal legislation in the US, which I think has a very good chance and the possibility of a U.S. Bitcoin ETF, oh, then these are major market events. And, you know, they combine with the, with the more you know, technical analysis and they look very good, right? So, okay, this, so if you are somebody that, you know, has a position, wants to increase the position or considering, is this a good time to go in? And one thing we try to tell investors is that, especially if you're in the long run, Coming in 25 or 35, you know, this is not the thing that, that changes your life dramatically. 
if Bitcoin plays out to be what it can be, right? If it moves kind of sideways, oh yeah, then you know, then it makes a big difference. Uh, but if Bitcoin becomes a store value, like you know, it's it it, it might become. Uh, if it becomes an asset that has one percent of global portfolios and things like that, then we're talking about multiplying by five, 10, 12, 15, whatever that number is, right? Uh, and there's again no guarantee that this is going to happen. But if what you're looking at is outsized returns, waiting for a variation of 10%, 20% up or down, this, this is, you know, every investor we saw that tried to time the market, uh, they got screwed. <laughs> like, right, yeah. this, this is hard. If you're a crypto hedge fund trying to do that, it's very hard. You're, you're, you're getting kicked at, you know, by the index 95% of the time. If you're yeah. most crypto investors that, you know, you don't have data information teams to work with you to try to build that. Chances are that you'll lose money most of the time trying to price it. So the long-term game is a lot better. And I think that we think the US ETF should be seen in that perspective. In the long term, what it means. And uh yeah, so it's you know, we're we're yeah. excited for what that was. Yeah, that's a that's a helpful analysis. I appreciate the color there and and really I think you articulated very well. Uh, you know, there, when we're talking about the Bitcoin ETF, there's there's basically two different conversations. There's the short term speculation of, you know, like what's the motivate? We're trying to mind read BlackRock. We're trying to mind read the SEC. We're trying to mind read all these other people. Like, what are they doing? What, what why are they why are they doing it? What's the motivation? And there's all this kind of fun speculative games and things that people play. Uh, and then there's the longer term kind of bullish case where, um, like what you were just outlining. And and I think it's important to remember as well that the you know, I think one of the concerns uh, or, or potentially, you know, kind of maybe reasons people might be not super optimistic or super like positive or about the impact of an ETF on the market would be people are wondering like, well, where's all this, where's all these investor funds going to come from, right? Like th this isn't, crypto isn't exactly a market that people are like just lining up to invest in at the well, moment. But from, from your, but like kind of what you're saying, it, it's, it, it's the longer term play, right? It's the, it's like if you have investment advisors that are suggesting a one to two percent allocation of a portfolio in this asset class through an ETF or something, and then you're you're letting that play out over over several years, uh, then that's where the value generation really, really, really we start seeing real kind of scalable impact there. No, there's huge. So you know, I think Brazil's an interesting example. You know, we we covered hash eleven last time we talked. We saw what happened when the asset class was embraced not only, let's say, by the regulator, but by the financial advisory community, which is what happened with our funds and ETFs. Like, you take out the career risk for the financial advisor to recommend crypto. And then it starts becoming an asset just like the other way. It might go up, it might go down, but I'm not going to get fired by my client if I recommend this. Why? Well, because this product exists. There's a product that's been offered by BlackRock, offered by Invesco, offered by you know, mm. State Street, whatever like so uh this is a legitimate asset just like i could offer gold a gold etf to a client and there are there's you know in the u.s a huge number of investors and you know hundreds of billions of dollars trillions of dollars that don't touch bitcoin that can potentially touch because there's an etf so like the effect of the etf on that the etf changes the demand like Oh, where is the, the demand in, in Bitcoin now? Oh, it's for people who understand Bitcoin 
and think there's a you know this is on the long term. Once it's it's embraced by, by an ETF in the US, by ETFs in other countries that things continued, you open it up to a whole bunch of investors. And, and I can say this from firsthand experience because it's the type of conversations that we have in Brazil. That what we had in 2018 and what we have now completely different. Uh, what we have in Europe uh, when we sit down. So Europe is very fragmented. So I'm based in London. London, uh, we don't have uh, ETPs trading here. There are no crypto ETPs trading the London Stock Exchange, but you have them trading in Germany, in Switzerland, in the Nordics, and in France and in the Netherlands. And then depending on the country, the adoption is very different. Uh, and it depends on some things, but if, especially if you go to Switzerland, Germany, and the Nordics, the accept, acceptance is huge. Hmm. Uh, so when you sit down with an investor, they're talking about the asset class, like they will be talking about China bonds, or like, oh, is this a time? Is this good? What's happening? Why should I go in now? They're not saying, oh, this is a Ponzi scheme, right? And then, depending right. on the country, you go to Spain, that's what they're still saying. Oh, no, this is a positive. Why? There are no good products. There's not listed in the exchange. So, um, and this goes from the, the proper allocator, meaning, you know, hedge fund manager or family office manager to a banker to, you know, somebody that's just, you know, that, that runs uh, a retail investment platform. Uh, the, you know, the views, they evolve. And as they evolve, they make it, you know, they make more people come in. So that's what's going to happen in the U.S. And it's, uh, you know, it's super exciting to see because we're still in the first innings of the, of the game in terms of it. And even in the U.S., you have Bitcoin, then Ether, then we go into the baskets. Then, then you have all sorts of very interesting, especially because the U.S. market, the ETF market is so evolved. It's the most evolved in the world that at some point we're going to have cool products that we don't have uh, anywhere else, we're going to be able to have them in the U.S. Like you know, inverted products or you know, transparent, actively managed products. This is something you're, you don't normally see. Like we have here in Europe, we manage a, you know a smart beta ETF. It's pretty cool. Like that type of thing. You know, smart beta crypto ETFs or alpha seeking crypto ETFs. So there's still a lot, you know, a long way there, and that that's just the opening salvo. You know, the Bitcoin spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I appreciate kind of the, the, the dose of like short-term realism with like long-term optimism. You know, I think that's kind yeah. of like, yeah. that's what we need in the, the bear market. You know, <laughs> it's like, we can't be diluting ourselves with crazy narratives, but like, look, like we're all here for a reason. We all believe in this. Um, so I really appreciate well, well, your. I, I, uh, and I think just to, to wrap it up, like in our, our cyclical view of things and actually the way we think about the company is this, the next bull run that comes, this will be the definitive bull runs on institutional offerings, meaning players, traditional players coming into crypto with all sorts of things. And if a firm and, and saying how we place ourselves in the market as a crypto firm, if a firm has established itself by then, by the next bull run, then the windows will, will be like very small, mm. right? So you're working on tokenizing real world assets. Okay, like get your act together because, you know, you're already fighting with PLCs from large banks in the world. In the next run, 
they will all be offering their thing. What do you have? Oh, I know how to tokenize something on the Ethereum block. Okay, everybody knows that. Like, but the deal sourcing is in the banks. It's not with you. So you better get some traction now. You better have something else. Like, we have a comfortable position because you know we have a name. We have stuff out there. We have, uh, but but still, depending on the market, you know, uh, things will get very crowded. Um, we know this from Brazil. Like, good luck trying to launch a, a Bitcoin ETF there. Uh, some markets in Europe are more challenging than the others because, right? Mm -hmm. So, some markets are still very closed. You know, you go into Hong Kong, they, they have a future Bitcoin future ETFs. They should buy two local players. Can an external player go in? Well, it's very hard if you, if you don't have some form of JV with a local player. So, all of this, and, and I personally think this is next year, we're going to see, you know, a frenzy of, of folks coming in again as, as the market recovers, right? So, uh interesting things to watch you know these amazing yeah amazing amazing well i appreciate the predictions here uh i appreciate the optimism and uh most of all appreciate your time uh thanks for being here and and for kind of the, the download uh i learned a lot here just just sort of absorbing all of this and uh it's, this is definitely helping me kind of sift through some of the narratives and some of the news and whatnot and the, and the, the twitter conversations etc um so really appreciate your time uh and your 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 uh your contribution here um, and then just really quick, like if folks want to get in touch, what's the best way to find you? Uh, Twitter, Twitter, at Twitter, BRS hashtags. So that's me. amazing. Okay. I'll, I'll put a link to that and, uh, great Bruno. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll, uh, we'll have to have you back on again once we get some more, uh, some action, uh, on thanks, the U S side here. So always, amazing. Always super happy. amazing. All right. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great day. 